Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. See, we have to understand that Israel at the time was in a culture that was pretty ancient. How many know that was an ancient culture? Right, several thousand years ago. And so the way of thinking at the time was everyone believed that there were gods, plural. You know that Israel even believed there were gods, plural, at first? They just thought theirs was the greatest. It took thousands of years to awaken to, wait, there's only one true God. Wow. In this culture, what happened was they have these gods and temples and, and covenants and arcs of covenants, and they would worship gods with sacrifices. And so Israel, at this time, was trying to find a story that was their own story. And so I believe through inspiration, God shared a story with them that was so different than the other stories. All the other stories dealt with some kind of war between gods and killing of another god and ripping a god in half and you know, dispersing them upon you know, this earth and it became this earth and the heavens and all these things. But in this story of creation, we see this God who creates for the sheer joy of creating. And not only that, he enjoys his creation. He has relationship with his creation. And so Adam and Eve are in this garden, as the story goes, and God comes and he walks with them in the cool of the evening. He has relationship with them. And I want us to see something here in Genesis chapter 2. Let's pick it up in verse 25. And they were both naked, the man and his wife. Now that's a good scripture right there, amen. Come on, guys, can I get a witness? And all the guys are like, yeah, the women are like, stop it, honey, we're in church. And they were naked. The man and his wife, get this, and they were not ashamed. Say that with me, not ashamed. So the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, were, hallelujah, naked in the garden, and they were not ashamed. Now, I want us, as we go into the next portion, and next verse, actually, which is chapter 3, I want us to keep this in mind, that they were naked and they were not ashamed. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Now listen what's happening here. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband, <laughs> by the way, was with her. See, a guy's like, man, stinking Eve. The dude was standing with her. Okay? And guess what he did? He ate. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked... Now, this is interesting to me, because if you just read chapter 3, you're like, oh my God, they didn't know they were naked, and all of a sudden they went, oh, we're naked. No. By, by chapter 2, verse 25, what do we see? They were naked and not ashamed. 
They knew their name. Hmm, there must be something to do. This. Just, just hang on. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. And it says they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So they saw the nakedness and they made themselves coverings. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves. What did they do? Hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So they're all like, oh, God's coming. God's coming. We got to hide. But look at this. The Lord said, Adam, where are you? Adam. Now, do you think that God knew where they were? He wasn't like, man, every time we play hide and seek, Adam is so good. He says, Adam, where are you? See, God knew what was going on. Now imagine a father. Verse 10, this is what Adam said. So I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. There's the word again. And I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were what? Naked. You've never heard the word naked this much in a church service, have you? Yeah. So whether it's naked or naked, however you say it, they were naked, right? He says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. See, the blame game starts right here. What does Eve say? Verse 13. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. You know, one time when I would read this story or hear this story, I would only see this as a story of the fall of man. But I think more accurately to really understand this, we should call this the introduction to the father. Because see, a lot of times we, we see these people, we see Adam, we see Eve, we're like, oh, they sinned, they were wrong, they messed up. Absolutely, we see that in the story. But what we don't see is the fatherhood of God. In fact, many people have said that this is the first instance of sinners in the hands of an angry God. You ever heard that? You ever read that, Jonathan Edwards? It's like, God's like that? Honestly, if he's like that, I want nothing to do with him. Dangling sinners over the pit of hell like a spider waiting to burn them. Sorry, guys. I don't see that and what Jesus revealed as the heart of the Father. Okay, we've got to understand that. But if we look closer, we'll see something different. I want to jump down to verse 21. Check this out, okay? Because they just had fell. They just did what they weren't supposed to do. They went against the command of God. And what does God do for them in verse 21? The Lord God made clothes from the animal skins for the man and his wife, and he dressed them. Wait a minute. What? We must have missed something here. I thought God couldn't be around sin. I, th I thought he left them. Well, in scripture here, it says that he clothed them from animal skins and he dressed them himself. How many have little kids? Remember that process in the morning of helping them get dressed? Wasn't it wonderful when they could dress themselves? But sometimes don't you miss just the, they're just so, uh, they just can't do everything on their own. And daddy, daddy, I'm trying to get my pants on and you're helping them get their pants on and get them dressed. I just picture the heavenly father's love is so great for his creation. He says, here, let me help you get dressed. Let me help you in these circumstances, despite what just transpired. If we look back, it says, and they were both, there's that word again, naked. 
and were not ashamed. Okay, this is chapter two, right? Before the fall, before the sin, they were both naked and they were not ashamed. Now, I want to do a little bit of um, digging this morning into the Hebrew. The Hebrew is a beautiful language. And there's two words here that I want to look at. The first word in chapter 2, the word naked, is the word arom. Say that with me. Arom. And it means naked or bare. It simply means this. They weren't wearing any clothes. They were naked, but they knew that they're naked. Adam for sure knew that Eve was naked. Let me tell you guys, okay, ladies, he knew she was naked, okay? But in chapter two, it's the word arom, and it means naked or bare. It simply means I'm not wearing clothes. But in chapter three, when it says that they suddenly saw themselves as naked, they realized they were naked, When Adam says, we heard you in the garden and I hid and I was afraid because I was naked. When God says, who told you you were naked? Different Hebrew word is this, Aram. Not Aram, but Aram. And it means this, utterly naked and helpless. Something changed. Naked and unashamed. Naked and helpless. We could say, full of shame. The modern Hebrew alphabet came from the ancient Hebrew, but the ancient, ancient Hebrew alphabet was actually in the form of pictures. It was pictures of animals and tools and body parts. Have you ever seen maybe some Egyptian inscriptions and it's just a bunch of pictures? Well, the ancients would write in this form. So in the ancient Hebrew language, it was actually pictures. So I want to just take a look at this because it's so beautiful, the difference in this. I want to look at this, and we're going to do a little object lesson, boys and girls. Are you ready? If I had my felt board, I'd get my little felt pieces out. But I don't know if they make one like this. But take a look at the screens at this word, Arom. This is how it would be written in ancient Hebrew. Now, what do we have? We have a picture of an eye right? A human eye. That next one is a picture of a head. That's a human head. The next one, you're like, what is that? Is it, is it a slingshot? No, it's actually, it's actually a peg or a nail. And then the next one is water. You're like, wow, Aram, naked is an eye, a head, a nail, and water. But it's interesting when we look at the meanings here. This eye, when they would see that, there, there were usually three to four meanings and the meanings were defined by what order they were put in. So in, in this case, the word naked was actually the eye, which is to see or know. The head was the beginning or the first. So the first thing that they saw or know about themselves and about God was this nail or this peg, which represented security. You know, when you would put up a tent, you would use your tent peg, right? So this, this reflected security, and then the water, it could mean either water or chaos. In this, in this, water gives life. So there was a life that was given to the security that they saw firsthand from God. Chapter 2, Aram. When they would see this, they would say, there's a security in who I am and whose I am. Now check this out. The second word, which is Aram. See how the picture has changed? Now in this, we have an eye, a closed hand, a head, 
and water. So what was this saying? Now think about it. They went from a position of security in their father, security in who they were, to this second way of saying naked in the Hebrew language. And the pictures describe this. They saw or know now from a closed-handed mentality, and it was chaos to them. It was all here in their mind. They shifted in their mind. They went from complete security. They changed. They, they changed the, the nail or the peg for a closed hand. They went from complete security in who they were and whose they were to a place of closed handedness. I can't receive the truth of the Father. I can't receive his love. I can't even see it clearly enough that I can receive everything he is to me. Think about this. They were in a garden. They had everything provided. Everything they'd ever need. And they went from security to insecurity. To hiding. To closed hands. Are you following this so far? Isn't it beautiful when you see that language written out like that? So something happened in their thinking. You know, there's this thing that's going on right now. I just heard about this from Pastor Chris. I'm like, seriously, dude, is this something? Have you ever heard of FOMO? Anyone? FOMO is fear of missing out. This literally, look it up on Google because you know that's where I get all my messages from. So I went to Google though and I'm like, okay, FOMO, I got to understand what FOMO means. There's an actual urban definition. Anxiety that an exciting or interesting event may be currently happening elsewhere, often aroused by posts seen on a social media website. <laughs> okay, now let's be honest. Okay, let's be honest for a minute. You're going to go through and you're like, they're in Florida right now? I wish I was in Florida right now. All right? They just got a new house. I'm still renting. Right? I think this has always been this, this human issue of wanting something you don't have. But now through social media, I mean, people post their highlights. Let me just clue you in. They're posting their highlights. Most people. Their life really isn't as good as you see. It's been photoshopped and airbrushed and whatever apps out there to make it look perfect. Right? I've been just as guilty, right? You know, 17, 27, for some of you ladies, 54 pictures later, you're like, oh, I just took this shot and I was out and about. Right. It's the highlights, right? And some of you guys, the one who laughed the hardest probably does it the most. I'm just kidding. FOMO. Can you believe it? Fear of missing out. Missing something or something missing. You know, sometimes I believe in our relationship with God, we go FOMO. And it leads us to go against God's design for us. We go from complete trust and security in a father to not being able to trust his story about us, that we are complete, that we are whole in his image. And what do we do? We fall for the temptation of shame. Now, I want us to key in on this this morning. We fall for the temptation of shame. Because what did the serpent do? The serpent changed Eve's mind about God. Did he not? The serpent essentially looked at a woman who thought God was love and said, God's not love. He looked at a woman who thought she was the beloved of God and said, no, you're not. That's what was being said 
in that temptation, the shame. You know, shame is believing something about yourself that isn't true, being shamed into something. I think often we make such a big deal about sin, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but the first temptation is always shame. If you believe a false story about yourself, then you will start to act differently than who you truly are. And this is what happened with Eve. The serpent came. It says he was crafty, he was wily. He knew how to say things just right. But even in those questions, did God say... He was tempting her with shame. Do you really think you're all that? God's playing you. You just don't know it. But let me help you out. And so she chose to believe a different story than the true story that God told her about herself. She went from security to insecurity, where I have to make up for this somehow. It was at this point When she believed a different story about God, and I would even say about herself, it was at this point she noticed the tree and the fruit and saw that it was good. I mean, how long was she in the garden for? We don't know. How many times did she pass that tree? I mean, she had no need of that fruit before. She did not see that the fruit was good until she saw herself and God differently. Think about that. Think about that in your own life. Those things that you've given into. Those things that, that you knew weren't right for you, but you gave in anyway. It usually starts with shame. It usually starts at some point where you feel like, I'm not good enough. You start to believe a false story about yourself. And so then, through that shame, you give in to the sin. Do you follow me? This is a huge thing. See, how you see God changes everything. And let me add, how you see yourself changes everything. There's been a lot of studies done on shame. And, uh, you know, I've been listening to a few, a few different people. Van Vliet published in 2008, they said, this studies show that shame is a powerful emotion that can have wide-ranging effects on our mental health and should not just be dismissed as an emotion that everyone feels from time to time. They go on to say this, shame can also lead to social withdrawal and isolation, which only further exacerbates many other issues. See, shame is a killer, folks. I know if you're familiar with Brene Brown, she's done some wonderful uh, books and writing and some speaking on shame. She says this, a wide range of mental and public health issues, think about this, including self-esteem, concept issues, depression, addiction, eating disorders, bullying, suicide, family violence, and sexual assault have all come from shame. And it started in the garden. I'm going to shame you. I'm going to bring you to a place to believe you are something you truly aren't. And it happens in our own life. Just look back. Think of those abusive relationships you were in. That person convinced you you were something other than you truly were. And some people are stuck still in that vicious cycle. But it's not until they awaken to who they truly are that they will step out of those things and say, no, that's not who I am. But for Eve... She was deceived. Now, we've been told things like sin separates us from God. 
How many have heard that story? Adam sinned, Eve sinned, but God came to them. They hid. Who hid? Did God hide? Where was God in the midst of their sin? With them? Come on. He's way too holy for that. Listen, God loves you. Do you know that sin has wages? Sin has consequences. And sin will pay you back. Nobody gets away with anything. But by scripture, if you want to go with scripture, we can say that even in the midst of sin, God was there clothing them. Who Jesus hang out with? You guys know your Bible. It's interesting to me that we come into this idea that sin separates us from God. See, to me, it's not a matter of separation. It's a matter of estrangement. It's mental estrangement. This is what happened to Eve. Estrangement is when you no longer feel a friendship or relationship. You no longer feel part of the group. And in Eve's situation, as we see, sin never separated her from God. Now listen, your sin will many times separate or estrange you from him. Why? Because you feel like you need to go hide, run away, and not be near him. But what did God do in the midst of their sin? He came to them, even in their hiding. This is so powerful. Do you see this? This doesn't mean that sin's okay. Sin will burn you. It stings. It will kill you. It's not good. But even in the midst of the sin, God is right there saying, nope, that's not my story about you. That's not who you truly are. Come back to my story about you. You follow me? So shame is the first temptation. It's a strike at your identity. Did God really say? How many have felt that accusation before? Whatever serpent's in your life, whatever accusation comes your way, whatever devil or Satan, those words, it means slanderer and accuser. How many accusations have you felt, whether it's from some enemy or whether it's from a friend who you thought was a friend or whether it's from yourself? accusing yourself? How many times have you said, look at you faker, you think you're all this and that, but you're really not. This is who you truly are. You know what that causes? It causes you to go live a life of someone you truly are not. When you're being called back by the Father to your identity, who you truly are. And it's interesting in this story because Eve her response to God was, I was deceived. Now think about this. If you have children and someone has deceived them into making a bad decision, are you angry with them or the person who deceived them? In fact, the heart of a, I think a good parent would be like, I'm so sorry that you were deceived. And there may still be consequences depending on what you did or didn't do. But I am so sorry you were deceived. That angers me that that person would lead you the wrong direction, would deceive you and draw you into something that has hurt you. And so what I see is I see the heart of a father who pursues them. We sang it this morning, right? Whatever it takes, I will find you but not to shame you. 
actually to remove the shame from you. In fact, think about this. They cover themselves with fig leaves. Right? It says they sown them. The works of their hands, they worked hard to cover their shame. And what does God do when he comes to them? He removes their self-effort. He removes their self-works to try to be righteous and look okay and be okay. And what does he do? He covers them. Which, by the way, is the first recorded sacrifice. He clothed them in animal skins. How do you think he got the animal skins? He had to sacrifice an animal. Are you catching something here? Who sacrificed the animal? He did. Is your mind blown yet? Because the first sacrifice was God sacrificing an animal. He chose a sacrifice. Reminds me of the cross. I'll be the sacrifice. I'll cover your shame. I'll cover your guilt. I'll cover your sin. In fact, I'm not going to just cover it. I will take it away. I will remember it no more. Right here in the first book of the Bible, God offers the first sacrifice. Let me ask you this. Did God offer the sacrifice so that he could be more comfortable with his sinful creation? I would say no. He offers the sacrifice so that they would be more comfortable with him. Messing with some theology right now. It's good. We need to be messed with a little bit. We need to get outside our boxes of what we think. We need to grow. We need to move on this journey. We need to see God for who he truly is. You know what? It takes sometimes getting out of our little boxes of denomination and saying, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Speak to me. I want to hear your voice. What is God like? And if we look to Jesus, that's who God is like. Right? The Apostle John was very bold in this. He says, no one has seen the Father but the one who is dear to his heart, Jesus has explained them to us. Big difference. And so a lot of times, you know, I, listen, I, I, love, I love the Old Testament. I, I love reading the prophets and I love Joshua and Moses and seeing all those things. But basically what John was telling us is that the one who you can truly trust who had the full picture of God is Jesus because he was God in flesh. So listen to him. That's the Mount of Transfiguration. Listen to him only. Yeah. Not the law, not the prophets. This is a new way of seeing God. He's just like Jesus. So even in sin, God didn't dissolve relationship or disown anyone. They just felt estranged. They told themselves, I'm not worthy anymore. And so they went and they hid. But God sought them out. And in the midst of that, he offers a sacrifice and then he covers them. This is beautiful to me. And guess what? God didn't go anywhere. Keep reading. He went out of the garden with him. He was there when Cain committed the first murder. Right? And what did God do with Cain? He showed him mercy. He put a mark on his head so no one would kill him. Wait a minute. Where's the eye for an eye stuff? I'm just saying. 
there's so many examples of God being with humanity. He didn't leave all humanity and say, Jesus, one day you take care of it. Go sacrifice yourself so I can be more comfortable with them. No, Jesus came and he, as self-giving, self-sacrificing love, took a place on that cross to say, listen, I want you to be comfortable with me. They cover themselves with leaves to make themselves feel better about the shame. But God shows them, I am not ashamed of you. This is huge. I am not ashamed of you. You are not less, but still in the same position. You just don't see it. So let me clothe you. Let me love you. Let me bring you back to your true identity. Because when I do, your actions will reflect who you truly are. So we're seeing today through Eve's eyes. Through Eve's eyes, she went from this whole person with God. She was completely whole. She had everything that her heart could desire to a place of lacking, attempting to prove her self-worth outside of God. See, on this side, chapter 3, guess what? She knew who she was. On the other side of chapter 3, she was deceived out of who she truly was, and she believed a lie about herself. Shame does that. So God covers them so he could fellowship with them. It was his way of saying, you're okay with me. Let's continue relationship. Sure, you messed up. But guess what? I'm in this for the long haul with you. I want you to truly see, first of all, who I am, and secondly, who you truly are. He wanted to dispel any notion of estrangement or separation. He said, you are not separated from me. Sin has consequences. And sin pays its own wages. But I'm not going anywhere. Let me teach you. I believe the spirit of grace is telling you this morning, I will teach you to say no to ungodliness. So listen to me. Stop trying to cover your shame and sew together your own fig leaves of self-effort and self-worth. Let me show you your worth. Because then your actions will change. So what can we learn from looking through Eve's eyes? I think there's three things this morning. Number one, even the best humans in the best situations can fail. I mean, here's Eve. I mean, the best human, you could say, right? In the perfect place, the best situation, the best surroundings, and yet she fails. Guess what? Hopefully they give you confidence that just because you fail doesn't mean you're less than. It doesn't change your sonship. Do you hear me? It doesn't change. So let God clothe you. Look at that sacrifice that he made and say, wow, you remember my sin no more. Do you know you have to beg God for forgiveness? When you do, he's like, listen, I already forgave you. <laughs> I've changed my whole tune when I screw up. First of all, when I mess up uh, to people, listen, apologize, be sincere, say, I'm truly sorry. You know, I do the same thing with God. You know what, God, I'm truly sorry. That is not what I'm built for. That is not who I am. I don't talk like that. I don't act like that. I don't look at things like that. That's not who I am. 
So I'm truly sorry, but I thank you that I've been completely forgiven, past, present, and future. And because of that, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm holy, acceptable, pleasing. And when you start to see yourself like that, guess what? You'll make better decisions next time. I'm telling you, I've seen it in my own life. This whole thing of hiding and sowing fig leaves and trying harder doesn't work. I've tried it. But man, when you realize who you are, it changes everything. And when you get to the point where no one can deceive or talk you out of that, listen, if you hear messages from pulpits calling you a dirty, filthy sinner, a dilly, dilly, that's pretty bad, a dirty, filthy worm or worse, right, Alyssa? (laughs) But if you've been called names and things from a pulpit, run as fast as you can run. You need to hear that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus that you're pleasing and holy and acceptable because when you see yourself that way, you will operate differently in life. Number two, God doesn't turn his back on you when you are tempted and give in to sin. Quite the contrary, he looks for ways to make you feel whole again because he's in the business of full restoration. You follow this? What I'm saying is when you mess up, Most likely there's consequences, but God doesn't go anywhere. Who who do you need in those situations and circumstances? God. You know, my kids have have messed up. And in those mess ups, have you ever told your kid, hey, don't climb that tree or don't do this or don't do that. And they do it anyway. And all of a sudden they're like, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. Do you go, well, that's your consequence. Hopefully you get down. See you later. Hopefully you're alive by the end of the night because you got to get a shower and you got to eat dinner. If someone heard you in the yard, they'd be like, man, what a jerky parent. What do we do? We rescue them. I'm hanging on for dear life. I know you you told me not to do this, but I am, and I'm hanging here. I'm hanging on for dear life. Help me. What do you do? You go to them. You rescue them. Now, you may say, now listen to daddy. Listen to mommy next time. These are consequences for not listening. But man, you're not going to just leave them hanging there. And worse than that, you're not going to say, oh, by the way, you're no longer Brancic, just so you know. I was kicked out of the family because I climbed a tree. Eve was kicked out of the family because she ate a piece of fruit? That doesn't make sense to me. There were consequences, but God didn't go anywhere. She needed him. He rescued them. He went to them. He clothed them. He said, listen, I'm okay with you. Don't let this change our relationship. But the unfortunate thing is, for centuries, for millennia, what happened is we still had this this Adam and Eve thinking that God is far and away and wants nothing to do with us, that we have to somehow try and measure up. But Jesus on the cross said, nope, final sacrifice, it's done. There's no more sin to remember. It's over with. Will you awaken to your sonship or not? But we have to choose, right? It's already there. You praying a prayer doesn't make it happen. It's already happened. But you, praying a prayer, speaking it, believing it, it causes you to walk in what's already true. Does that make sense? And for some of us, see, I say this a lot, but I feel like I need to say it again. Salvation is not a one-time event at an altar praying a prayer, folks. It's not just a ticket to somewhere far and away in the future. Salvation is preservation, safety, healing, wholeness, deliverance. 
I need that now in every facet of my life. That's why Paul says to those who are being saved, because there's areas in your life that still need deliverance, rescue, healing. Can I get one amen? Amen. Ooh, that was like 50. That was awesome. Am I against the sinner's prayer? No. Listen, however you come to the realization that God's there and he's for you, I'm fine with that. The apostles preached 17, 18 gospel messages in Acts. There wasn't one altar call. There wasn't one sinner's prayer. It said they believed. So however you believe is what's important right? And you know when someone believes because they begin to walk in what they believe. Does that make sense? Have you ever ran into someone who they went to an altar and prayed a prayer and you're like, I don't see any Jesus there at all. They need lots of salvation, right? We're not putting people down. I'm just saying some people, I prayed a prayer 13 years ago and it's like, but you're still living like the devil. What's going on? (laughs) Right? You're accusing people, you're slandering, you're holding picket signs, you're berating people. There's no love there, there's no grace, there's no empathy for their situation, sitting down, talking, building relationship, kind of like that uh, Jesus, that's his name, that Jesus guy did. It's important. Number three, it's important to have someone in your life to encourage you in truth. That's what I love about Faith City. I truly feel like I have friends, brothers and sisters who are for me. Who, you know, even though I have a title next to my name, pastor, some of you see me every day and you even see when I don't say things perfectly or do things perfectly. But in the midst of that, you know what? There's an accountability, but there's grace there. There's encouragement. I'm surrounded with people who say, look it, that's not who you are, pastor. You're better than that. And so it's important that we have these relationships, these friendships. It's important to have someone in your life to encourage you in the truth. So really, it comes down to don't walk alone. You you can't do this life alone. You need brothers and sisters to help you through this. Amen? So Eve went through what many of us all do as well. She was tempted to look outside her identity for something that isn't even missing. That's the takeaway today. Eve had everything she needed. And she looked outside to get something that she already had. How many of us do that same thing? The lie is that something is missing from our life. We need more. But God wants us to know that he loves us right where we are mistakes, missteps, and all. Right where we are. Now, he doesn't want us to stay in that state. He wants us to awaken to who we are, to our true identity, because then we will make fewer mistakes, missteps, and all that stuff. But even in the midst of that, just like in the garden, God didn't go anywhere. So the moral of the story isn't, don't sin. Listen to me. The moral of the Genesis story is not, don't sin. Now, do we sin? Yes. Should we? No. But that isn't the moral of the story. The moral of the story is that God will love us through it all. So don't be tempted by shame. Don't allow someone to deceive you out of your true identity of sonship.
That's for all you ladies too. Can I hear an amen from the ladies? It's good stuff. Through the eyes of Eve. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your love and your grace towards us. I just pray this morning that anyone here who's struggling with identity would hear the story of Eve, see things through her eyes and awaken to the truth of who we are. That we don't have to go outside of God to find fulfillment, to find something that's missing. We don't have to give up the security that we have for things that we believe will bring us security. Thank you, Jesus. Just place your hand on your heart. Every service I love to just make a confession. Confession in the Greek means to agree with. And so this is a time where we get to agree with God and his story about us. So I want you to repeat this after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. You're so good to me. This morning, I choose in my heart and I say with my mouth that I trust you. I trust your story about me. I am holy. I am pleasing. I am acceptable to you. If there's anything in my soul, any lies that I believed that are contrary to what you say about me, I choose to believe you. Jesus, you have access to my heart. Heal me of those lies. Bring me truth by your spirit. In Jesus' name. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.